Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi everyone, I hope you're having an awesome day. I am spending some time at the River Retreat House and I thought I'd just pop in here to share some of what's going on with me lately in between uh, podcast guests. So I wanted to talk about meditation and also about relaxation techniques such as Yoga Nidra. For me, meditation is a non-negotiable. I first was introduced to meditation actually at a super young age. It was one of my best friend's mother way back when I was a young teenager, maybe really 11, something like that. Actually, might have been before, maybe like 10. And believe it or not, I would see her sitting in meditation at their house. She was a devotee. She was following Guru Mai in Siddha Yoga. Guru Mai, who's the teacher at the Siddha Yoga, you know, organization. And she would, I would see her sitting and I always thought it to be super interesting. And I, I was very attracted to her having a sacred space. I remember the smell of incense. And she would put a shawl over her head and around her neck. And I really enjoyed seeing her until I think I was just like kind of asking her questions, you know, and she took me to an ashram with her. She took me to a place and I think it was a Siddha Yoga place. It was at the time. And she said, hey, let's go. And I, yes, I was super young and I have this memory, but it, that's that was my first introduction to yoga. And I remember sitting there and everybody was chanting one session and it felt like I was home for some reason. And then that's where I was introduced. We went to a meditation class or a meditation session one day. And I sat there and remember just feeling really at peace, even at that age. So long story short, the next few years of my life, I continued to go to the Siddha Yoga, you know, house, the place that we would go meditate. She then introduced me to some teachers who assisted me in the practice and understanding, you know, what I thought that was the yoga, was yoga for me. It was really at that point, my introduction to yoga was a chanting and meditation and then, like I said, I was very young. She was also one of my mother's best friends. I call her my aunt, but she was my best friend's mom. And we, I was living in Mexico because my stepfather was working there. And he had been transferred there. We, we moved a lot my whole childhood. We moved to many different places, you know, because of his work. And my mother and, and him, who I lived with, my stepfather, we got transferred again when I was about 12 years old. And that was a really hard move for me 
to leave from Mexico because I had been there for maybe even five years. Can't exactly remember, but it was a very, you know, that age that you're starting to, you have all your friends and you go to school and you're really, and I was going to this meditation thing that I really loved. At the same time, I was also practicing dance, ballet, classic ballet. My mom would take me. But when we moved to Rio, we moved back to Brazil. I felt like I was being ripped out of my life, you know, everything that I loved. And it was a very trauma. I had moved other times in my life, and I even continued to move later. I moved from from Brazil to France, lived in Paris followed the following years. However, um, that move was the one that was challenging for me. And I bring that up with the talking about meditation today because when we got, it really helped me. It helped me transition through this really difficult time in my life. So when we got to Brazil and we were living in Rio and at that age, right, and I was really upset. I was upset with my parents, I was upset with my mother and she knew and I told her how important it was for me to continue going to this temple, this ashram, you know, this, it was the Siddha Yoga. So my mother, God bless her, she made the effort to, and obviously she saw that it was a positive thing in my life, and, you know, to take me to find out where was one in Rio and how could we get there. But for those of you who are familiar with Rio, we were living in São Conrado, which is like in between Ipanema, Leblon, and Baja, right? And so this place that we found back then, this is a while ago, you guys, maybe like 30 years ago, this place was in Fla Praia do Flamengo, so Flamengo Beach, near there. So that was kind of a hike, like a super, I don't know, just like it was a hike. It's not, it's not close. And there's a lot of traffic, you know, Rio is a major capital. So super, a lot, very busy. And I think that without traffic, maybe 45 minutes, but there was always traffic and there's no way around that. It's kind of like LA. And so really it could be an hour and a half to get there, if not more, and then come back home. Obviously, I'm also not an only child. I have siblings. So obviously, that was kind of a lot for my mother, you know. Well, thankfully, and I knew that. I knew that it was kind of a burden, but we were doing it. I was going maybe like once a week. But then I met someone there and to my mother's relief, (laughs) although then I got into something different who was told me, oh, have you been to the Hare Krishna temple, which is in Baja, very near San Conrado, where I was living? And I said, no, I have never been. And at that point, I'm trying to think I was probably like 13. So I decided to go check out the Hare Krishna temple. And one of the biggest draw for me to go there was the vegetarian food. They had vegetarian, which I had become interested in just because of the Siddha Yoga and the meditation was already coming from India. And I was sort of introduced to that concept of being plant-based. And so, and I was interested in it. So it was really cool because they had this prasadam on Sundays and the Hare Krishnas, as many of you know, also chant a lot. It's very bhakti yoga. But I met someone else there who I consider her. She was a great friend, slightly older than me, probably 18, 19. She was kind of a mentor 
And she taught, I consider her one of my first yoga teachers, even though she was um, also a very good friend, almost like a big sister. But anyways, that's how I was taught to sit and breathe and connect with nature. In Brazil, the Hare Krishna temple was very close to the Baja. It was very close to the beach in Baja. And we would sometimes go there at sunset or sunrise, even super early. I was waking up super early. And we would sit and watch the sun, you know, and we would meditate. And we would just literally focus on the breath and connect to just the environment, like what's around us and allowing all of the noises or distractions, big bird flying, surfer coming out of the ocean to become a part of your meditation. That's how I was taught. And so in the Siddha Yoga, when I was going to, I also, there wasn't anything like too much technique in terms of, you know, do this or that, or it wasn't too guided either. Back then, these were just practices that was like sit, you know, take a deep breath, exhale, then go get back to your breath and just breathe softly, close your eyes and connect with your inner self and with the possibility of finding this inner peace, right? And we all know that every meditation session is different, So that was my first introduction to meditation, all of that. And so I did start implementing the practice of meditation at a very early age in my life. Now, it wasn't always consistent, you know. There were other things going on in my life at the time. I was also dancing, continued to dance, ballet and modern dance. And I was a big-time surfer, the girl that I was telling you about at the Hare Krishna temple, she was also a surfer, all my friends. So that's part of what the reason why we would get to the beach so early because the waves were coming. And that, that also to me was sort of a part of integration and meditation, just surfing and being in the ocean, which I was always in the water. I mean, probably seven days a week, if not six days a week. You know, that was a big part of my growing up. And I really loved it. And Later on, so it depends, it kind of ebbs and flows. I would have times that I would be really committed to just sitting and breathing. And I would sit, I don't know, for five minutes in the beginning, you know, considering when I was started, I was younger than 15 years old. And then I think that I was then slowly, gradually adding, you know, 10 minutes practice, 20 minutes And then it became something that even on days that I was going to school, and I'm talking about high school now, 17 or something like that, I would wake up before, you know, our, my bus used to come pick us up, my brothers and I, at like 7.15 a.m. or something. I would wake up like at 5 or something just to have some time to sit and do my meditation practice because I really believed in it. There was something about it that made a lot of sense to me to clear the mind. And, you know, nowadays I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a yoga trainer, I lead retreats, I've devoted my life to sharing this practice with others, and I would love to tell, give you guys some tips about meditation, but I, I do want to go a little bit more about my experience. Later on, when I was in India, my first trip to India, I went to see Patabi Joys in India and study Ashtanga Yoga, Mysore style in Mysore, I spent, I think, probably like two and a half months there. 
and I was introduced to a man, Professor Narasima, and if some of you are listening to this that have been in Mysore multiple times, you probably know who I'm talking about. He was very well known in the area for teaching transcendental meditation. So Professor Narasima, he had studied with Maharishi Mahesh. That's for those of you who don't know, that's the yoga meditation teacher that taught the Beatles, very well known, you know, one of the leading one teachers in transcendental meditation, TM. So I went, I had this very impactful meeting with him the first time I, I think at that time I was, I'm trying to think, 20, 20 years old or 19 or 20, something like that. And uh, the first time I went, he was just sitting, you know, in a white robe, just completely sitting in Padmasana, full lotus. And they told me, there he is. And, you know, you just wait there. We, I said, how long is he going to be sitting? They said, we don't know. It could be another hour. It could be 30 minutes. If you want to talk to him, just wait. You know, getting there, I had gotten into a rickshaw. I had trying to find this address that I had no idea where it was in the middle of Mysore. Like, I don't have a car, so no cell phones, you know. So I said, of course, I'm going to wait for him. And when I first met him, he asked me if I was practicing any any form of pranayama and breath practice. And I said, no, at this moment, you know, not really, except ujjayi breath, which, so yes, I mean, ujjayi breath through the vinyasa yoga practice, ashtanga. But I wasn't sitting and doing pranayama on its own. And so he said, let's start with that. So he, the first thing he taught me was nadi shodhana, which is alternate nostril breathing, you, you know, you inhale, you close one of your nostrils, your nose, you inhale through one side, like, and then you exhale, and then you switch sides, you inhale, exhale, and there's a whole practice with that, right? You can look it, look it up, there's some great YouTube videos. It is a very powerful pranayama practice, I really loved it. And then, you know, I was really caught up on the mantra, and he immediately taught, told me, you are too, you know, the mantra is not really, it's not about the mantra. Like you're, you, you know, let's just not even worry about that at the moment. It's about your mind. It's about the monkey mind and you, you know, clearing your mind and calming your nervous system and just, just all that meditation is. So long story short, started meditating with him. I would go there after my Ashtanga practice pretty often, I'd say almost daily for a while. And on following trips, I continued to go. Professor Narasimha was extremely knowledgeable. And eventually he did give me a mantra. He also uh, taught me a lot about yoga philosophy. He would have these Dharma talks and a few of us would, I don't know, eight, ten people would come and we would sit, you know, on the floor of this house and they would talk and give us a Dharma talk and teach us the scriptures. And it was, it was really cool. Like now looking back, it's like, wow, I'm so, so happy I had, I'm so grateful, you know, that I had these experiences in my life. Fast forward to where I am today. Meditation to me is a practice of focusing the mind, quieting the mind, which is not always easy, right, but so necessary. Meditation, there are so many different tools and techniques, that different ways to go about it. Yes, you can be given a mantra for those of you who are interested in TM, and let's pretend your mantra is OM, right? You, you just close your eyes and you're sitting. You do sit up tall. It's recommended that your spine is in a vertical position. 
I like to think of aligning my aligning my tailbone to the crown of the head or root chakra to the sahasrara, the the crown chakra. And you just breathe in and out, right? In and out. You can, if you feel like you're too scattered or you need some grounding, I recommend take three deep breaths, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth. And if you, if sitting cross-legged is not for you, because let's face it, it's just really not for everybody, sit on a chair, right? And if you're sitting on a chair, it is nice to feel your feet on the earth and to try to spread your toes and anywhere, however you are, maybe you sit on your bed if you need to you can put some cushions behind you if your back is going to hurt right because you're sitting a, a certain way that's physically not conducive you know it's like you're, you're feeling this physical pain it's actually not a great idea I think at least I'll say I should say this in my perspective because then the pain sort of gets on the way and your mind can get really caught up on that sensation or you know and and then obvious for obvious reasons you also want to be mindful of your back and you don't want to hurt so I am I think about I think it's easier it's easier for the session for your experience to prop yourself however it is that you need so you can sit on some cushions you can put your back against the wall on the floor sit on a chair on a on a bed or if you feel completely good with your back and your posture then yes by all means sit in sukhasana or easy cross leg or full full lotus those of us who have have the hips very open my hips are have always been very open it's easy you know when you cross in in you you sit like in that lotus position it's actually really nice it feels really good actually you know but only if you are super open on your hips so anyways that's not the point let's let me not get too deviated here you get the point sit however you like i do recommend vertical spine obviously if you have you know a condition you can't sit i know people like that my brother is going through that right now i have so much compassion for that then obviously do it laying down so then let's talk about right the different techniques so some some of it is sort of like you can look at a candle and you can just you know gent i would say exhale inhale ex through the nose exhale through the mouth like two or three times ground close your eyes softly and then you can focus on a candle or focus on anything if you have a vase with flowers or a statue or something you can just kind of slightly gaze you can do a soft gaze and just look at that and then continue breathing and if it's too much for you in the beginning just time yourself you can put a timer nowadays you have some apps like inside timer that they have bells and they will ring after five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes and um you know you can set that up or your alarm on your phone and so that way you don't have to be thinking about the time and see what feels comfortable for you what feels appropriate and authentic in that day in that moment and just simply close your eyes and go into your technique another technique could be counting right some people count from zero to ten ten to zero and then just you know keep breathing and if the mind wanders bring it back to the count if the mind the count is the technique right the the candle is a technique just looking at that candle if the mind wonders it just helps you settle the gaze settle your drishti what we call and then 
Another technique would be to just focus on your inhalations and your exhalations and just notice your breath. You can do a body scan. That's another technique if it helps. So all of these things are, why are we talking about techniques? Because it's the mind can wonder, right? Like there's a reason why we call it the monkey mind. There's so many thoughts that we have into in our energy field, in our field that I call, that the mind can just jump and be, you know, thinking about your grocery list or what you have to do. Or it's really challenging for the mind to just be completely steady. So we're kind of tricking the mind in a way. We're giving it these tools, these techniques to say, oh, you want something? So here, focus on the breath, inhale, exhale, or focus on the candle or focus on you know, counting or body scan. Let's do a body scan so your mind can kind of settle. And when we're doing that, it's almost like washing our body, mind, spirit, our soul with this clear, I like to just sometimes imagine like a clear crystalline water coming down and just clearing all of the sensations. If there is a sensation, just notice it, breathe into that space, let it go you know, practice letting go. Some people, there is a practice that they label the emotions, the emotions. Emotion is energy in motion, such as, let's say, if you feel happy, you label happy. If you feel anger, you label anger. Or stressed out, stress, sad, sad. So that practice is just sort of, also creates the separation, right? You are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. These are just passing. The one thing is the impermanence of all things. So even the strong emotions, even the what the yogis call the chitta vritti, which is like the the mind, the revolving, the mind, and all this monkey mind stuff, all these thoughts and all these things that we feel all of this, this too shall pass. So that is a mantra that you could use. Some people like to use mantras, right? We talked about one could be, I love this one for different reasons, you know, not just meditation, this too shall pass. Because when you have a sensation or strong feeling or emotion, First, you, rec- you have the awareness, right, which is what meditation is so powerful because it teaches us the awareness, how to become aware, how to notice our patterns. And then you first you have the awareness and then you can notice, oh, you know, where is this coming from? And you know that this too shall pass to not become attached to that thought or that emotion or that strong sensation and to become the observer of the mind. So for me, it is, I'm, I'm now when I sit in meditation, I prefer to do it in the mornings. I know this is like a personal thing. I find that my mind is a little more clear in the morning. So it's an opportunity to get other things that are perhaps in my subconscious mind to arise. And then I notice them. And I release them, right? Just like we were talking right now. But it's a powerful practice. And I get this question a lot. How long do you sit? Well, it depends on what I have. I'm 
human just like everyone, right? Just like you. And so we all have things in life. We all have different situations. We have trips. We have we get really busy with work. We have family in town. We know we have different things. So if I am in a in a place that I have more time, if you know my to-do list is not as enormous, then I have a longer sit. This week I sat a few times for half an hour each. Um to me, that's kind of, you know, that, that is actually a good, I don't, I rarely sit for an hour. It just, and again, yes, when I'm on retreats, yes, when I was in India. In TM though, with Professor Narasimha, I, he did teach me transcendental. So I was doing 20 minutes twice a day, which is a great practice. I enjoy that too. And on bi- super busy days, I would do just like 20 minutes, you know, Sometimes when I have more time, like this week, I really felt, well, I felt a little overwhelmed with, I just have a lot going on right now. I'm opening a new space in New Orleans with limited public classes, but a lot of appointment-based clients. And so there's a lot going on there. And then there's, you know, other things that already have trainings and such. So online teaching, online clients. So it's kind of, it was just a lot for me. And because I was feeling kind of overwhelmed and I felt like there was so much going on, I actually felt like I needed to meditate even more. So I made it a point to sit, yeah, for a few, a handful of times in a week for about 30 minutes each practice in the morning. And it's such a game changer, you guys. I feel I would be a very different person if I didn't have the tools and the techniques for self-care and self-regulation that I have in my life. I'm very lucky to work with something that I love so much, yoga, and to be able to share this practice with other people. And one of the biggest rewards for me is when I see people's life change, literally change for the way better transform right because of their a asana practice yoga nidra practice meditation practice pranayama practice journaling practice you know all of the above or or one of them it's not rare i i i get emails like every week i see people changing and completely become a better version of themselves like literally like all the time so for me this is the biggest reward of doing what i do because i love the watching and just becoming a witness of how powerful this practice is. And I really believe that when you change yourself for the better, right, you evolve into the better version of yourself, the world becomes a better place. Because what is the world? The world, I mean, it's you, it's me, it's humans, right? When everything is so chaotic, it's because everyone is so chaotic. So in the middle of the storm, you know, to have this sanctuary, to have a sacred practice such as meditation, it's, it's just priceless. It's just, it, it brings your life to a whole nother level. I, a question I get a lot is, so Natalie, what do you recommend I do for meditation? Like, how do you, how do I meditate? Okay, so I'm going to say to you guys, just like my, my teacher in India told me when I was, you know, 1920, just sit and breathe. If you can find a quiet or a quiet space, or maybe a space doesn't even need to be that quiet, but that there's, you know, not somebody like tapping on your shoulder, 
basically. Like that you can take a little moment away from your busy life and I'm, it's up to you. Let's say you have no time. I'm going to invite you and challenge you. Do you have five minutes? Then start with five minutes, right? If you have 10 minutes, wonderful, right? On days that I am crazy busy, let's say I have like a flight to catch and I'm late, whatever I will do, I will sit for five minutes. But those five minutes, it's a game changer in my day. Without that, it would be like a different day. So I believe that any there's no small amount of time for meditation. I think you can start however you like. You can bring this as far as you like. You can sit. There's people who sit for an hour every day. I know, you know, some of my, my colleagues sit for two hours. It's, it's really personal and is what you can do in your life. So I'm going to say find, you know, some time that you can commit to. And let's not complicate things. For right now, I want you to, um, to just find a, a quiet space or a place that you're going to be free from distractions for that time being. And I want you to begin by just taking three deep breaths. Exhale through your mouth. And then I want you to slightly and gently close your eyes. Sit up tall. Roll the shoulders down the back if you have the ability to sit. And, um, and just, you know, go inside and focus on your breath. Focus on your inhalations and your exhalations. And if you have any thoughts that arise, notice your thoughts. Become aware of your thoughts. And don't get attached to your thoughts. Watch them arise, pass, and let it go. And then stay with your breath. And then most likely, perhaps, another thought will arise. Notice your thought. Once again, don't attach Know that you are the observer of the mind, that those are just thoughts. Thoughts are not you. Yes, they possibly could be coming from you, but they are not you. They are just these thoughts, these energies, right, in motion. And you can be a witness to what is happening. And notice how the more you do that, the more your mind will clear. The more your mind will clear, the more inner peace you will feel for yourself. Right? The more inner peace, which also means you'll be more grounded, more serene, more equanimity, less reactive, which is one of the biggest gifts meditation gives us you become less reactive. So, again, such an amazing, wonderful practice available to every single human on the planet. You don't have to spend a lot of money on it. You don't have, you know, it's free. You can do it any day. I did say, are the thoughts possibly could be yours? So I want to touch on that. I wonder sometimes, are those my thoughts, right? Sometimes, so you, you notice the thoughts. Are all of your thoughts even your thoughts? Possibly some, possibly some are not. You know, we are like an antenna. We have this vibration, this frequency around us. 
can also think of it as your aura, your auric field, or, you know, we are energy beings. And so when you go places and you're watching things like television, or, which is all fine, right? It's part of the human experience. But we're always absorbing, just like a sponge, we're always like absorbing things into our field. And so, you know, even like when you are at a party or you're at the supermarket or wherever it is and there's other people in that room, you know, if someone is feeling something really strongly, let's say they're just being feeling really negative that day, they have strong emotions or things are just not going that well. Some of that, if you are not, if you haven't done your, you know, your morning practices, or that's why I really believe in like have some kind of spiritual practice, say a prayer, an affirmation, whatever it is. If you're, if your energy field is like compromised because you're super tired and you're working all the time and you're overwhelmed and your relationships are not going that well, it is very possible that you will feel especially those of us who are empaths and, you know, very sensitive, you can feel other people's thoughts and you can sometimes even adopt them and thinking that these things, these are your thoughts, but in reality, they're not yours to begin with, you know? And when we're watching violent, that's why I don't, I don't watch violent TV anymore. If, if there is, um, you know, if people are shooting each other or if there's like the, they're just beating each other, I'm not, it's not something that I'm interested in. It's just too much for my, my system. It's too much for my nervous system. How much, you know, my subconscious mind, how much does it that, that our, our subconscious mind and our nervous system, how much do they actually know? Does it actually know that it's real and not real? So what is it that we're allowing in our lives? Right. But that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> And I do talk a lot about stuff like that in my yoga trainings as we move through all the yoga philosophy and why we practice yoga asana, you know, sure, flexibility and strength, but there's a lot more that a yoga, a solid yoga practice can do for you. And again, it's one another thing that I should do a whole episode on because it's so powerful. But, you know, an asana, it, it is it's so powerful and yet it's like a knife, right? A knife can be something so powerful and so it can you can use it for the good. You can use it to for your food, for you to eat, to cut things you need, but it also we know that it can be used to hurt people or to hurt someone, another being or something. And so it can also be a violent tool. I think it's a lot a lot of things can be like that. If you practice yoga postures and asana in a way that you know, it's just not, not like not in a himsa, not not with nonviolence or self care, self love. You can also kind of go too far in that direction, and you can actually hurt yourself. So I think that's why sometimes these practices get a, a bad reputation. It's also how is a, the person approaching the practice, right? We can see that with a lot of things in life, though the duality or the you know, there's always. So we're trying to find. Um, the balance and we're trying to become more aware of our actions and why we do certain things and you know yoga happens in the present moment so one of the biggest tips I always in yoga for me it's all of it right meditation yoga phil- yoga philosophy yoga asana practice postures all of it pranayama yoga happens in the present moment so the real question is how are you today, right? And how are you? Every 
practice is going to be in the present moment. So are you aware enough to to do your practice, right? Whatever the practice is, in a way that it serves you today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not what we an idea what we think it's, you know, right or wrong, which there is no right or wrong, but or or a photo that we've seen or something. No. More is this serving you today? So, you know, any teacher, myself included, we can we can give you our perspective. We can give you tools. We can say, oh, I'm going to do a meditation course. Come join me and I'm going to share all the things that helped me and served me in my life for meditation. I can't wait to share it with you. But I always say, take what you love and leave what doesn't serve you, what doesn't work for you. Because everyone is giving you their life experience and their perspective which is wonderful, right? I, I myself love having mentors and teachers. I, I, that's another thing. I don't think I could do this world without my... <laughs> I have some amazing mentors and some amazing teachers, and I've interviewed some of them for the podcast, so you guys might be familiar with them. But I have a really strong team. Yeah, I think mentors are amazing. And yet, when we... we I'm a mentor for, for many as well. When I off, you know, whatever it is that I'm, even yoga teacher training, 200 hour, 300 hour, you know, meditation course, you, you, whatever it is. Yes, you take what you love. And if something doesn't resonate with you and doesn't work for you, you test it. And if it doesn't feel right, leave it, change, do something different, experience, you know, try something different, try different types of meditation, try different techniques, see what works for you. But but do it. Don't not do it, you know, because if you don't do it, then you're really not going to get anything. You're not going to get anywhere. You're not doing it. Yeah, I, I do think that there's no excuses. If you want to do it, you can do it. And to sit and, you know, exhale, take a, you know, exhale through your mouth a few times if you're feeling you stressed out, even however much you need, because breath really assists and really help. And then just quiet the mind. You know, there are going to be days that are much more challenging than others. That never goes away. It's always. doesn't matter if you've been meditating 40 years, 30 years, five days. Some days you'll have, you'll drop, right? And you'll be really kind of deep into your space, your meditation. It's just going to feel, wow, wow, how amazing this practice. And then some days you might sit and you you will feel like you cannot drop, like your mind is just everywhere. And furthermore, you know, I've, I've had students who said that that happened the first month and then eventually the mind start, started quieting more and more because you're giving it something complete, especially those of you who have never had a practice like this, you're giving it something completely different. And, you know, we live in a world that's full of rat race, like just fast speed move from point a to b to c to d back to a sleep don't sleep very well you know what i mean it's just too much you guys it's too much and to move into a slightly separate topic which i should do another episode on for sure i wanted to just mention another practice that it's so 
non-negotiable and so key for my well-being in my life. Yoga Nidra. Also other forms of healing techniques. Anything, and for this one I mean laying down. I recommend and I teach this to my students and I do have a certification Yoga Nidra course coming up, starts in May and there will be a self-paced as well. There's a platform, very substantial, east meets west type of thing with a lot of research, a lot of scientific, you know, angles of this practice. We're going to look at the brain waves. We're going to look at neuroplasticity, what happens when you're in certain states of hypno- hypnosis or yoga nidra or deep relaxation, what's happening to the body. But I also do want to look at, you know, the yoga philosophy and some of the things that that are in the sutras, such as the koshas and the different levels that we have and and what's happening on that sense philosophically and also how this can be an alignment with the chakra system and how you can, you know, relate. And then pranayama, breath, how the breath is, how this affects the nervous system, parasynthetic, sympathetic nervous system. These practices of relaxation, let's call them relaxation techniques they are to me one of the also the number one just absolutely non-negotiable amazing practices that everyone should be doing as part of self-care at least that's my again my opinion for these practices i approach them completely different than meditation meditation for me it's more a focus I personally do it with no music. I explain to you guys how I do it. I just like to focus on the breath. Sometimes I do a body scan. I can do guided meditations. I love headspace. That is my, you know, I love that voice of Andy. To me, it's more of a drishti. It's more of a dhyana, like just kind of really, you know, training the mind. And it's a, it's more aware. Now, the relaxation techniques, which I will say... I do them probably minimum three times a week, laying down, lay down, be comfortable and warm, cover yourself with a blanket, cover yourself, put some socks on again, because if you are uncomfortable, your, your mind is going to attach to you being uncomfortable or you being cold and it will be more challenging for you to let go and to relax, which we, what we really need you to do and when you are in these relaxation, deep relaxation techniques so that you can assess different states of mind. Your brain waves can change. Your brain can just get a really, you know, relax, deep relaxation, go into the state of almost sleep but not sleeping yet. You have a soothing voice that is guiding you. And again, there are many different ways that people can do this, that guys, teachers can guide you through it. Some of it are body scans, yoga nidra. We bring you to different parts of your body. I, I teach this in my course about using your voice a certain way. You know, your voice is also part of sound healing. It's also sound therapy. So one can use the voice as a tool to guide humans and people to go deeper into their practice just by the pace the the sound and it's just become this very soothing very gentle i like for it to be very gentle very soft 
really giving people the space, you know, guiding them through the breath and allowing them to drop deeper and deeper. Um, There are different ways that people guide people. And it's wonderful because nowadays we have YouTube that you can literally go on YouTube. You can find, I recommend find someone who you love their voice because that's the thing, right? You have to be able to, you know, anytime someone is teaching you, especially these more, you know, these like spiritual practices, I would say it's, there's a transmission. There's a, there's a real transmission. And I don't care if it's in my view, it could be a uh, virtual or in person, whatever, there's still a transmission is there. Energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed. Right. So it's voice is a transmission. And so when you are, when you get someone's voice and, and if it doesn't resonate, like your, 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 your body, mind, spirit, your, your system rejects it is because it's really just not enough for who knows, right? It doesn't even matter. It's just not in alignment with you. So don't think that you just don't like the practice forever. It's just because you didn't resonate with that one person, that individual. No, no big deal. Thank God there are different colors of the rainbow. <laughs> Thank God there's different colors for everyone on planet earth and people can like different things. I love that. I love diversity. So find someone or someone's, a few people, right, that you can resonate with. I love putting my headphones I put my AirPods and I lay down, cover myself. I put an eye mask. I recommend you put an eye mask for healing techniques. And then you just do your yoga nidra. Some people, same thing as meditation. Some people will be guiding for five minutes. So you can have sort of like a quickie or just a short time out of your day. And some people will be guiding for, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30, 40 an hour. So see what resonates with you, what you have time for that day. I love doing my healing sessions in the afternoon, like sometimes early afternoon or also a really great time to do them is when you first wake up in the morning and right when you're about to fall asleep, because there's something happening to the brain when you're just waking up that feeling that you're like in between sleep and awake that it's really powerful for your subconscious mind to get into a healing technique like that. You can have a lot of revelations. Oftentimes I, I come out of those if I do them first thing in the morning. And sometimes if I have something that, you know, spiked or came through or whatever it is, I journal. And then I find that my journaling is just like kind of free flow. And I can get a lot out of journaling after a healing technique or a yoga nidra session. So I love that. But in the middle of the day, like two or three o'clock, if I'm getting too tired, if I've already seen some clients, if I have another client or I have a deadline or something, just to be able to lay down for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to put an eye mask, cover myself and, and just go through a yoga, you know, a yoga nidra session. Oh my God. It's just absolutely so healing. Um, a friend of mine recently said, I don't like to use headphones. Well then, yeah, of course, you know, I only said that because I, I enjoy that. But of course, you can you can go to a room that you have the space for and you don't, if you know, don't don't use a headphone if you don't want to. That, that's not like a non-negotiable or anything. Or you can find some places that people offer 
things such as yoga nidra, like yoga studios. Sometimes they have a sound bath with yoga nidra. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite things to do. What a treat, right? What a treat. I, in my local community, I go and I do sound baths. And I, while I'm doing the sound bath, I guide, you know, everyone through a yoga nidra session or a healing technique. Sometimes I switch things. It's not exactly a yoga nidra, but it's also a calming and it's the same sort of principles, right? I love sound bath. And with this said, I, because I am so passionate about these tools that literally have changed my life for the better. In the past few years, it's been, you know, let's face it, it's been a lot of stress on planet Earth, right? Collectively, I find that I have dropped or gone into these practices even more. And I found that I've, I've been finding that I really need them, you know, I need them. And I'm so grateful that I have them. And so, again, it has made my life a lot easier, happier, more tranquil, more inner peace, less reactive. Because of my love and my passion, I started a YouTube channel. You know, I for- always forget to tell people about what I'm doing. This is the thing. Like, I love creating, but then I forget how to put the word out there. So I'm going to use this moment here right now, this episode, to share this with you. The YouTube channel, I will link it below in show notes. It's called Relaxation Nation 111, which I will share healing techniques and yoga nidra practices as well as meditation practices so I can share it with the world. It's something that I was just came straight from my heart. I'm just really inspired. I want to share it with people because there's no reason why, you know, there could be someone in another part of the world that I am not close by. And there, I would love if I can be a source of light and healing and positive things in their life, then well, I want to be that for that person. I want to share something that has helped me so much, assisted me so much, improved my life so much. Yes, I wanna. I want to extend that to you know to all people, to anyone who has access to the internet. And one more thing that I love about yoga nidra, these healing techniques that you're laying down, covered, and all that is. This is really what I was like, okay, this was years ago that I said this. I, 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 now I really have to, I have to be able to teach this because I realized that anyone can do it. Anyone can do it, right? I've offered yoga nidra with Reiki healing technique in hospitals. I've been asked to come to do that. I've offered it in teaching for the blind and uh, guiding blind people through it. I've offered it to individuals with different types of handicaps. And, uh, you know, someone, anybody, any age doesn't, you know, if there, some, if you can't walk or whatever it is that's going on in your life, right? Anyone can do it. And that's so inclusive. It's so loving. It's just, wow, what an amazing gift that we can bring people through these practices to relax their nervous system, to quiet the mind, to feel expansion and freedom. And you know, in yoga nidra, some of sometimes there is also a script after they take you through a technique and stuff. We bring you through imagery, visualization. 
that could be, you know, through a, I have one that's in a rainforest and one that's in a waterfall, one that's in, you know, a garden. And, and so you imagine, you know, infinite possibilities with, with these scripts, right? And you can take people to places. And if there's someone who is in a hospital bed or they're, dealing with a trauma or they can't leave their house or whatever it is, what, what a gift, right, to be able to connect and to be able to really, um, yeah, just travel, visualize in your mind's eye and to have that freedom, you know, no matter what, which is just, I believe, is. I don't know, just incredible. I love that. Yeah, you guys. And and so that spoke very much to me, that part of the practice, that not, not only people who are super fit and super healthy can do it, but also everyone. I particularly am very sensitive to that because I, I grew up with a brother who has a disability. He has, my brother Felipe has a Down syndrome. And um, we are very close in age. So, you know, I was very aware that that may explain, I think, like us moving countries so often. And also, you know, now that I look back, because people ask me all the time, how did you start so early with the yoga? And that might explain part of it, because I think having my brother and being, I was very aware. I remember being very aware, even when I was four or five years old, that, that my brother, who was very close age to me, something was different about him. And I also would notice sometimes people looking at him differently and treating him differently and sometimes not for the better, like just discrimination and stuff. And I remember having this feeling very young, like six, seven years old of, oh, this is not okay. And it really hurt me, you know, it really hurt me and it made me very aware of certain things. And I felt a lot for him. And so you know, he's not, a, he was not capable of like doing Ashtanga yoga six days a week like I was. And so I have a lot of gratitude that I have this body and that I'm capable of moving certain ways. But I do realize that not everyone can do things like that. But he can lay down and listen to very soft guided voices and music and it does relax him. And he loves, actually he loves music and he loves just any time of visualization, imagery work. So, yeah. So, you know, populations and demographics is something that means a lot to me. But anyways, that's it, you guys. Yeah, meditation and different healing techniques, both amazing. In my perspective and the way I teach them, I, they are sort of in different categories for me, right? Meditation. It's more of training the mind, focusing the mind, using different techniques for it. Relax, deep relaxation, so necessary, especially in today's world. But it's more of a letting go, relaxing, dropping, and just allowing your mind to do what it needs to do. This way we tap into the subconscious mind. And when you're working with visualization, then you can fire different neurons together and create new neuropathways and that is so incredible for all kinds of work right including trauma work so yeah i feel like we all could use a little bit more of inner peace of love in our lives thank you so much for listening thank you for tuning in to life on earth podcast 
If you love this episode, share it with someone you love. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite platforms for podcasting. And leave us a great review. It means a lot. I hope to see you soon. Bye.